Let me reread just a few verses of that uh, gospel reading, which is our sermon text. Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he has asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that He is Your Word to us, that in Him all Your promises are yes and amen. And we thank You that You've given us the privilege to pray in and through Him. And we praise You for these great promises that You will hear when we pray. Teach us to pray as you taught Jesus' disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. To give you a pep talk today, at the end, one, two, three, break, and we'll go off in our various ways. Nothing fancy. Nothing clever. I just want to point to promises that Jesus makes in this passage. Promises he makes in many places in the Gospels. And I want you to convince you to believe them. And act as if you believe them. And live like you believe them. The chapter begins with Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. He himself is praying. And his disciples want to be taught to pray as just as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus, first of all, gives them a model prayer. When you pray, pray this, Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so on. Jesus gives them a corporate prayer, a prayer to pray together. And then he reinforces his teaching on prayer with a little parable. A parable about a neighbor, about a man who has a guest late at night and goes to his neighbor to get something to uh, serve to his guest. Jesus says that the uh, neighbor who is being asked for something is in bed. It's late. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. He doesn't want to get up. But because of the persistence, or you could translate that shamelessness, because of the shameless requests of his neighbor, he gets out of bed and he answers the request. And the point, of course, is not that God is like that, that God is somehow reluctant to get up out of bed and serve us and to help us. The point is that if a neighbor who is reluctant to help will help when somebody asks him persistently and shamelessly, how much more will your Father in Heaven who is ready to give you whatever you ask, who loves you, who wants nothing but good for you, how much more will He give you good gifts when you ask. And then Jesus gets to these famous direct instructions. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, it will be opened. And then Jesus follows that up with yet another parable, or a series of small parables. You're evil. You fathers are evil. You're sinners. 
Uh, you don't know how to good give, give good gifts to your children in, on your own, and yet you know how to give bread to a child who asks for bread. You don't give him a stone. You don't give him a scorpion when he asks for fish. You don't give him a snake when he asks for an egg. You give good gifts to your children. And again, how much more will your Heavenly Father, who is nothing but good, nothing but good, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you things that you need and things that you ask? The point of the pep talk is simply, believe Jesus and pray, believe in Jesus. Pray with the kind of confidence that Jesus gives us. Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray. And Jesus does give them a model prayer. That's one of the ways that they are to pray. But primarily he's focusing not on how to, but who to. I know that's ungrammatical for these grammar Nazis out there, but it kind of works. Not how to, but whom to. To whom do we pray? That's the issue. The issue is not following a certain uh, pattern of prayer that might be helpful. Or finding a certain place to pray, that might be helpful. Or following a certain set of words to pray. Jesus wants us to do that because that's part of his instruction to us. But the key to effective prayer is remembering to whom you pray. It's less important how you do it than to whom you do it. And that you do it in confidence that you are in fact praying to a God who is ready to answer. Who is ready to give when you ask. So, pray like you believe that promise. And then, live like you pray. We always do that. Our lives always follow the pattern of our prayers, for good or for bad. If you don't pray, then you're liable to go through life heedless of God and His presence with you and His direction for you. If you go through life not praying, then you're saying, in effect, if not consciously, I have no needs. I'm perfectly content with what I have in myself, and I don't need any outside help. Of course, that's foolish. We know that's foolish when we reflect on it for just a second, because what is it that you have in yourself? (laughs) You've got nothing, nothing, nothing in yourself. You have nothing you haven't received. You are nothing but need. That's what it means to be a creature. It means that you are nothing but need. And everything you have is a sheer gift from a loving creator. But you can go through life not praying. But that leads to a certain kind of life. Our lives are directed and guided by the way we pray. If you pray confidently, if you pray the way Jesus teaches his disciples to pray... Then you go through life expectantly. You ask and you look for the answer. You knock and you start looking for the open door. You seek and you expect to find something. You pray confidently. You live confidently. You live fearlessly. You live joyfully. You don't live in a way that you're always looking for the downside to everything. You live confidently because you know that your Father takes care of you and answers your prayers. So believe Jesus. Pray like you believe Jesus. And then live the way you pray. I'll come back to the pep talk in the text in a little bit. But first I want to make 
a couple of observations. The title of the sermon is Repent of Your Piety. I could have put in Repent of Your Orthodoxy. And I don't mean to be encouraging you to be impious or unorthodox. But I'm pointing to the fact that we often use our theology to undermine confidence in our prayers. And we Reformed Christians are particularly apt to do this. We find all kinds of qualifications and loopholes and uh, small print to get God off the hook. It's as if we think God might have overcommitted a bit. Jesus might have been speaking a bit rashly when he said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find. He meant to put in qualifications, we'll put them in for him. And so we use our theology to undermine our confidence in prayer. We say, God is sovereign. He can answer or he can decide not to answer. And it's up to him. And so we pray, but don't really expect anything to happen because we know God is sovereign. It's going to be his decision regardless. There are variations on this theme. God has given all these great promises, but I'm not sure they're for me. God has given all these great promises, but they're for his children. I don't know if I'm his child, so I don't know if I can pray confidently and expect him to answer. God chooses whom he will, and I don't know if I've been chosen. Or we think God has all this great stuff, and he's given all these great promises in the Scripture... But I'm not real confident that he really wants to share all those good th- all those good things with me. He may be withholding a bit, at least with me. I mean, other people seem to have their prayers answered, but not mine. God's withholding good from me. Or we use our belief in total depravity to undermine confidence in prayer. We are miserable sinners. We don't deserve anything from God. We can't even lift our heads in His presence. So we pray because we have to, but we don't get our hopes up because we know we're such miserable sinners. Our theology justifies our passionless prayers, our lack of expectation. Our theology justifies our stoicism in the face of apparently unanswered prayers. Our belief in God's sovereignty justifies our pessimism, our laziness, our lack of vision, our lack of passion in prayer. God doesn't need and doesn't want our loopholes. He doesn't want the fine print that we add to the bottom of the contract. God isn't looking for an out. God has not overcommitted. Or you could say, if he's overcommitted, he has really, really overcommitted. Because he's given his only son for us, how overcommitted can you get? If you want to know the kind of God you're praying to, that's the God you're praying to. There is no other God. The only God you can pray to and who who will hear you is the God who has given his only son for your sake to die on a cross. So yes, he's overcommitted. He's all in. And he's not looking for a way out. And you know that because of what he's done for you. Because he gave his son for your sake. That's the sovereign God that we pray to. Is God sovereign? Of course God is sovereign. God created the whole world. Everything that happens is part of his orchestration. It's all scripted. God is utterly sovereign. 
And God is so utterly sovereign that He can commit Himself before the foundation of the world, before anything ever existed, to be your God and for you to be His children. That's how sovereign He is. God's sovereignty is not an excuse for us to think, well, maybe God will answer, maybe doesn't does or doesn't care for me. God has said He's committed Himself wholly in His Son and in His Spirit to you. Now, you either believe that, you trust in that, or you don't. But that's the only God that there is. So don't let God's sovereignty weaken your prayers. It should do the opposite. Because God is sovereign, we can be confident that He hears and answers. So you're a miserable sinner. I don't think so. Do you sin? Yes, you sin. Are you in the category that the Bible describes as sinners? Is that how God regards you? When you pray to Him, is God thinking, I'm not sure about this one because He's a miserable sinner. I don't think I'll listen to Him. Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Not there's a little bit of condemnation left. There's a little bit of disregard and hostility on God's part for you. A little bit, not much, but a little bit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you go before the Father, you are going in the Son. God regards you, God the Father regards you as being in the Son. He regards you as a member of His Son. And He loves you with the same love that He loves His Son. No condemnation. Yes, you have to confess your sins. That's part of prayer. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we think that we are miserable sinners in God's sight and we can't even, we have to walk over glass and wear sackcloth in order to pray to Him, we're mistaken. That's not the God that we serve and that's not who we are before Him. We are His children. Well, do you know that you're His child? That's one of our excuses. One of the ways that our piety and our theology gets in the way of confidence in prayer. Do you know you're His child? Well, God can choose whom He wants. I don't know if He's chosen me. I don't know if I'm part of His family. I don't know if I'm one of His children that Jesus is talking about here. Well, yes, you do. We saw it happen earlier today. We saw a little girl adopted into God's family. And that's happened to everyone in here. You are part of God's family. You're one of His children. You either believe it or you don't. You act on it or you don't. But you are one of God's children. You're one of the people that Jesus is talking about when He say it, when He says, Won't the Father also give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You're one of your Father's beloved children. And you know it because He adopted you into His family. He placed His family name on you in baptism. Don't let your theology undermine your confidence in prayer. We should put the right label on all of this. The right label on the uh, misuses of our theology that I've been talking about, the right label is unbelief. It's nothing but unbelief to doubt that God, the sovereign God gives Himself and all that is good. It's nothing but unbelief when God says no condemnation 
and we say, well, we'd like a little more condemnation, we'd like a little time to self-condemn, if you don't mind. When God says no condemnation, it's unbelief not to, not to accept that as the truth about you. That's who you are. When, Je- when, Je- when God places His name, His family name on you in baptism, it's simply unbelief to say, well, I'm, I'm not changed. I'm a little wetter than I was before, but I'm not any different. No. If God is, if the God of Jesus Christ, if the Father of Jesus Christ is God, the triune God is God, then baptism is the placement of that name by God on you. It's not just water. And therefore, you're part of His family. You belong to Him. He loves you. And it's unbelief to deny it. When you think that God has great things in store for lots of people, but maybe not for you, that's unbelief. And added to that unbelief is something very close to the original temptation of Satan in the garden. Satan says to Eve, yeah, God does, this, this tree would give you knowledge of good and evil. It would open your eyes. God knows that. It, he knows that it would make you like Him. And He wants to reserve divine privileges for Himself. He doesn't want to share with you. He's got all this great stuff, but He's not going to share it with you. That's Satan's temptation. Satan, not God, is the dragon who hoards his stuff. God is a giving God, a generous God, an eternally giving God, an eternal communion of Father, Son, and Spirit, an eternal communion of self-gift. And He's given Himself to you. So repent of your piety. Repent of the faithless ways that you used your theology. Repent of twisting God's word into an excuse not to pray, to pray cautiously, to pray timidly. Repent of your piety. God isn't looking for an out. He is not looking for your fine print. He means what he says. Jesus means what he says. And so we get back to the text and the pep talk. Remember Jesus' promises as you pray. And then live the way you pray. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Jesus, of course, is talking to disciples. He's talking to his children. We've established conclusively just a moment ago that you are his children. So this applies to you. And Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. And he doesn't put any qualification in it. God always gives you what you ask or gives you something better than what you ask. Always. There is no exception to this. God never, ever, ever gives a stone to children who ask for bread. Never. He never gives us evil gifts. He never gives us scorpions when we ask for eggs or serpents when we ask for fish. He never, ever does. And I'm sure you're thinking of all the times that you prayed for things and didn't get them. Prayed for good things, not selfish things. Prayed for the conversion of somebody. Prayed for the health of somebody. And I don't get what I want. Or I pray for relief from tribulation, and all I seem to get is just more tribulation. 
What's going on with that? How does that fit with Jesus' promise? Well, there may be a, a number of things happening there. It may be that without really knowing it, you're actually asking for a scorpion or a snake. You may be asking for something that's really bad for you, that would really not help you, and God knows that the answer must be no for your own good. It's very possible that God is giving us good things that we don't recognize as good things, at least not initially. We pray for something that we want. We don't get it. We get instead the opposite, and we think, you know, something must be wrong. God is not answering my prayers. But over the long run, we come to see that the answer, no, or wait, was exactly the right answer. God may be delaying an answer to purge away our sins. He may be giving, delaying an answer because He wants us to grow, because that's more important than getting the thing that we asked for. If we pray to, for relief from tribulation and still get more tribulation, we can be confident, we can be triumphant, exultant, Paul says, in our tribulations. Because we know that tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance produces in, uh, proven character, and proven character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. You're in the midst of some crisis in your life, and you ask God for relief from that crisis, and it doesn't happen. Things get worse. Is God giving you a bad gift? Is God giving you a scorpion at that point? No, He's developing perseverance and proven character and hope. And hope is not disappointed. You pray for relief from suffering. And all you get is more suffering. But that means that God is placing you on the cross. That's where Jesus was, you might remember. Jesus was on the cross. And in our sufferings, we are suffering in union with Jesus, which is a great privilege. We pray for relief from suffering, and instead God gives us more suffering, and in doing that, He's giving us the privilege as a privilege of being a living icon of the power of the gospel. Our lives become a living icon of God's promise that He will His power is revealed in our weakness. He orchestrates our lives so that our very lives become a witness to His good news. Many things could be going on when you pray for something, something good, and don't get what you ask for. But what is not going on ever, ever, is that God has refused to give you something good. That never happens. What Jesus says is absolutely true. No, no qualifications, no fine print, no loopholes. Ask and you will receive. You receive what you ask or you receive something better. Whether it feels better or not, it is something better. For you. You say, don't we have to ask according to God's will? Yes, we do have to ask according to God's will. Jesus says that elsewhere when he talks about prayer. Whatever you ask according to my name or in my name or according to God's will, we receive it. But that doesn't mean that we try to guess where God is, what God is doing and try to get out in front of him so we know we're asking what he's going to do anyway. We pray according to God's will when we pray God's promises back to him as he gives them in the scriptures. Take a few moments sometime. It doesn't matter which few pages. You probably can skip the genealogies. But what are the, uh, you can probably take a few pages of the Bible and you'll get a dozen different 
promises that God gives. Turn those into prayers. And you know that's God's will because He sent it to you in the Bible. He said it to us. God promises to give food and drink and clothing. He promises to deliver us from temptation. He promises to supply all our needs. Not only to supply all our needs according to the need, He promises to supply all our needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's what you call an oversupply. Way beyond need. God supplies all you need. God gives wisdom to those who ask. He raises up the sick. And even if the person you're praying for doesn't get well, that person, again, can become a living icon in the midst of their suffering of the power of Jesus Christ. God promises no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. That pretty much covers it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He promises to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of our Lord and of Jesus Christ. He promises to bring all the nations to Zion and teach them of His ways. He promises that they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. He promises that the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And he promises many other things. We know God's will. We don't have to guess about God's will. We don't know God's will in details in the midst of our lives. We know overall God's will, and we can pray many things exactly as God has promised. Remember that you're a child of God. You're your father's, your father's child. You're not dragging yourself before him, some miserable sinner that God won't pay attention to. You are a child of your heavenly father, and he is your heavenly father. A, fatherless to the fa- a father to the fatherless, a rock of our salvation, the God who has compassion on those who fear him, the God who causes the rain to come on the just and the unjust, and the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He's the one who knows what you need even before you ask. He's the one who forgives your transgressions. He's the one who feeds the birds of the air and who clothes the grass of the field and tells us, don't be anxious for anything because your Father takes care of you. That's who you're praying to. You're praying to your Father who does good and nothing but good. And once you're praying that way, remembering to whom you pray, praying as Jesus tells us, ask confident that you will receive, seek confident and expectant that you will find, knock and expect the door to open. When you pray that way, you will live that way. Jesus is specifically talking about praying for the Spirit. When you have the Spirit, you have God Himself. What more could you need? When you pray for the Spirit, you have all the things that the Spirit gives. And Jesus says, the Father will not withhold the Spirit from those who ask. So ask for the Spirit and then live expecting the Spirit to start working all around you. Ask for the fruits of the Spirit to come up in your own life and expect to find them. Ask for the fruits of the Spirit in the lives of your kids and expect to see them. Ask for the Spirit to hover over the chaos of the world and expect the Spirit to begin recreating. Pray knowing that whatever God brings is exactly the fish and the bread that you need. And therefore, 
pray with expect, uh, expectantly and joyfully. Whatever He brings is the good thing that you need because God never gives you something bad. He gives you what you ask for or something better. And so you can live joyfully. You can live thankfully. You can live confidently. You can live fearlessly. Because the Father to whom you're praying is the Father before whom you're living and the Father whose world this is. Your Father is behind you. Your Father is before you. Your Father is above you. Your Father is the rock beneath your feet. Everywhere you go, He surrounds you with His love and His care and His protection. The only thing we have to fear is God. And the God that we have to fear is our Father, who has given His Son and His Spirit for us. Pray to that God. Pray confident you're praying to that God. And live that way. This is your Father's world. This is your Father's world. And He's made you His children. And He's spread out the whole world as a playground for His children. So, go pray and go play. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for these great promises that he gives us, that He will, that you will answer, hear and answer our prayers. We pray that you would fill us with this confidence. Help us to know you, bring us deeper into communion with you. Give us your desires in our hearts, so that our desires will be yours. We pray that you'd help us not only to pray, but to live confidently, joyously, thankfully, knowing that you care for us. We pray this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.